do you have funeral plans? Not really like the actual funeral, but I want to have a bench with my name on it. In a specific spot? It can be like pretty much anywhere, but I just want a place where people can hang out. Like I, I just want a bench outside, maybe near the lake, but like, I don't know, it doesn't really have to be. Just like a big bench, like people can sleep on it or they can like talk and hang out with their friends. I just would like a bench. I don't really care about my body as much. I want to be, I want to be cremated 100%. Uh, ashes spread in the lake. Okay. Like Michigan. Yeah. But I don't want, like, I don't want to be, I don't want a tombstone. I don't want anybody to have to like visit my grave or mm. anything like that. Like, I, I just want to, the president of Singapore, basically, like he had, he was like, I don't want anybody to be able to come and like memorialize me. He's got like, no, there's like no monument or like gravestone with his likeness or anything. So, okay. Like he was, he, I mean, he was a president dictator of Singapore, not a good person. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, what made you think of like, wh- what's the pull toward, I really want a bench. Just because I've a lot of my like best times in my life have just been like sitting on a bench with like some random person I've met or like sitting in an alley, like having a cigarette, like after a show or just something like it's just like the, the little hangouts are like the best thing. And just like giving people an opportunity to do that. I'd be all right with that. These tools are for you to Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I was in a coma nine years ago, and now I have this podcast where I ask people about the stuff that I didn't see while I was out in the coma. My guest this week is Steve Tapas, a comedian, a content creator. I don't know. I wonder what his... We didn't talk about his relationship with content creation or the word content. I don't love it, but the point being he is a prolific producer of videos on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, all of which are in the show notes. You should check him out there. And we do talk a lot about creative process, especially on the Patreon in the extended episode. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. You can join a growing group of people. Very thankful for that growth. Thank you so much to the people who've decided to join recently. It really means a lot to me. And I want to give a shout out to those Pigeon Level subscribers who pledge $15 a month. It, I don't know, you know, it's uh, it's about as much as a, a streamer. I realize I'm not giving you Netflix level content here in terms of quantity, but I also think I am giving you better than Netflix level content. Whoa. Quantent. Netflix does quantent. I do this podcast. Anyway, the $15 Pigeon Level patrons are G, Barry Fontenot, Shuba Singh, John Lee, Debo, Fred Fidoa, and Katie Llewellyn, and Susie Carroll. So thank you very much to all of them. Thank you to Steve for doing the show. I do want to say, I occasionally I try to mention it, you know, there's it's it's not a it's not a light show. It's a light-hearted show, I think, but it's uh, occasionally heavy. I do want to mention we go into a lot of gambling talk, a lot of addiction talk, touch of suicidal ideation talk. So just be aware, like this uh, this conversation. It's really interesting. It's unlike any conversation I've had on the show before. The structure of the show is a little different as a result, and I think it's really fascinating. I hope you enjoy it, but, you know, if if that's something you need to watch out for, there you go. So, that is what I've got, and tell your friends about the show, and... Now enjoy the show itself. Here's Steve Tapas. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like paint your hell, Steve Tapas. Oh, this is so this is so fortunate because I was talking to my uh, friend yesterday. He just moved. I used to be a mover, mm. and uh, it's got to have a king size mattress that I'm trying to like move up a staircase. Okay. 
memory foam king size mattress. Why is memory foam worse than other it's types be- of mattress? It's so dense. It's so heavy. It's like, mm. um, so yeah, like moving a king size mattress, um, Uh, being like in a U-Haul facility while you're moving a king size mattress, but the okay. elevator's broken. Um, he was talking to me about this experience he had at a U-Haul facility, and I had a flash. I had flashbacks of when I was a mover. Yeah, and uh, being in a U-Haul facility is is pretty horrible. Like a public storage locker where you're there to move somebody else's stuff. Why? And what 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 do you hate so much about it? It's because uh, it's so funny. I had this conversation with him yesterday. Uh, he we were he was telling me about this, and I was just like validating him. But it's like being at the DMV because like you have to wait in line to like get access to the locker, and like mm-hmm. there's just some guy you know who's there who doesn't want to be there, who's like trying to give you access to your shit. And it's like stuff that you don't want in your apartment, which is why you have a public storage locker, but you still have to go get it because you care enough about it that you like paid to leave it somewhere. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then like having to wait and then like you like have like I remember when I was moving in those places, I would always have swamp ass like so like I don't know. That's like hell. I hated, I hated having to go there and you're, it's like, it's like a, it's like a maze. You're like trying to find the right place. So like, I don't know, like having to wander around one of those carrying a king size mattress made of memory foam with somebody who, um, <laughs> there's gotta be people there though. Right. I mean, it, there's, I mean, it's my, it's. I feel like there has to be people there, but it's not like people I dislike. It's people I've hurt. But oh, okay. But maybe, maybe like I can't apologize to them. Okay. Like maybe they're just like people I've hurt, and like I have to. I see them, and they just kind of like walk past me, and I'm like, "Shit, there's that person." You don't get any relief from the guilt. No, 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 yeah. no. I have to live with being a shitty person while I'm doing this. <laughs> Horrible. Well, and being in the facility the way you described it, it's just so many layers of unnecessary. The, yes. The, the, the guy, the, the person working there doesn't want to be there. You don't really want this stuff. You don't want to go get this stuff. It's just, it, it's just a dump. It's just a garbage dump of... Yeah, civilization and and adult living. It's it, it it like shouldn't exist almost, but you're forced to just move through this place that shouldn't be. The yeah, the 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 other yeah, the exactly. It's it's like it's like I I was when I was when I was in uh high school. This is my other hell. Like it's kind of the same version of it, but I had I my cousin had a liquidation company. So basically okay. like when people do, when businesses or individuals declared bankruptcy, the court appoints a bankruptcy trustee, which is like a lawyer, and they're in charge of liquidating whomever whomever's assets are, you know, whoever has the debt. So that we had to go up to this like place in Wisconsin, and we had to liquidate this woman who was a hoarder, and she had a whole barn of like. First edition Beanie Babies and like her son's soiled underwear. And it was just like aisles and aisles of like walking in her house and they were like, and that was also hell. But I almost would rather take that because of the, like the sheer like camaraderie I felt with the other people I was moving that stuff with. And like the oddness of it to the, like U-Haul is just so mundane. What do you hope happens when you die? I hope I get to see some people that 
are not here anymore. <laughs> okay. Specific people? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some people who were, you know, who were or dead that, uh, you know, just for whatever reason didn't make it. And, uh, uh, one of, one of my close friends is like, uh, a few months ago, like passed away suddenly. And, uh, it was one of those things where COVID kind of separated us and then like for, yeah, you know, and then you just like find out in the middle like of a work day cause you like going through Instagram or whatever. And it's just like, I would have liked to have spoken with them like one more time. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that I get to see some people that see some people like that. And then see some people like who were supportive of me when I couldn't support myself and then let them know that things, things are okay for me because they cared so much about me, you know, like my grandmother. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like, cause I think she died before, like she realized that like my shit was squared away. Okay. And, uh, I wish that, uh, like, yeah. So I, I would like to just tell her that everything turned out all right for now. You feel that confident, like to, to say that in the past tense, like it has turned out all right. I've arrived. It's, it's no, well, I said, that's why I said for now, I mean, uh, uh, but I mean, like based on like the last time I think she was, she had like uh, a lot of strokes towards the end. So she was kind of like, it wasn't Alzheimer's. It was just like lack of, uh, like she was just like experiencing dementia. I mean, she was like 94, but, uh, like there were, you know, at that point, like when she kind of started losing, uh, cognition, I think that I was still a question mark. Uh, and I mean, it's not to say that none of us are, aren't always question marks, but I, I think that she would have felt a lot better if she knew that I could keep a job for like more than a year. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I just like seeing the people that I care about or cared about me would probably be like the best case scenario. I want to do a hard pivot, man, because we've got a lot of um, since the incident talk happening here. Um, you know, which one? Just like, well, that's what I'm saying. It's we're 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 vaguely referring to some heavy heavy moments from the past. I feel like we're sitting around a table in a castle, and everyone's <laughs> just like, "Oh yes, we don't talk about the incident," you know, and. Uh, and so I'm wondering to whatever extent you're comfortable, you know, rather than ask you, what's your coma, you know, a moment where of transformation, where before you feel like one version of yourself and after you feel like another, um, in reference to my own literal yeah, yeah, yeah. experience, um, I, I guess I want to maybe ask you to give me a timeline of potential comas of like, Oh, this is when <laughs> this paint, paint the way down and the way up for me. Um, of like moments r- real, real, like, Oh, this, this is when I should have known this, but then it kept getting bad. This is when I should have known that, but then it got bad in this other way. But then <laughs> this is when things started to turn around, but then it got bad. You know what I mean? Like, give me the, like, yeah, p- paint that that trail for me towards uh, towards the place you're at now, where you would want your grandma to see you. Uh, so, and I can be like as specific as I feel comfortable with. Oh, of course, of course. All right, all right. So I think, so I think a lot of it had to do with. So when I was in high school. Like poker started to become a thing. Remember poker? 
Yeah, like, like World Series of Poker starts yeah, yeah, to get yeah. televised and stuff like that. Yeah. So I went to this. I went to this like. I went to this like uh, private school for six months, and I hated it because I just like didn't fit in. But I used to I used to play poker with these kids and uh, with these like really rich kids. And uh, when I went to public school, like all my public school friends were playing poker, so like I started like gambling regularly. And then I think I had like a gambling problem by the time I graduated high school, but then I went to college and then I started having just like making bad decisions surrounding like drugs and alcohol problems. Okay. And like, you know, like pretty like, you know, waking up in the hospital because you drank too much kind of like that. And then, uh, yeah, no, so then, like, when I got back from Spain, I had, like, been doing 12-step programs for a while. Because okay. I thought at first, I thought I was like, oh, yeah, like, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, but it turns out it wasn't that. It was just uh, some other stuff I hadn't worked through. But anyways, I would say, like, in my 20s is when I, like, really, really uh, – I started working in uh, production, like, for TV. Like, I had found something I was passionate about mm. and, like, really dedicated myself to that. And then I realized that, like, it wasn't really what I was passionate about. So I, like, wanted to, like, actually perform. So when I left that, I lost that sense of, like, satisfaction and identity right around the time I was, like, 25, 26. And I replaced it with uh, taking too much Vyvanse and, like, going to the casino every single day for, like, a year uh, two years after I had quit gambling once and had, this is, this is a, this is the weirdest thing though. Like I was in a movie called win it all. Have you ever heard of this movie? It's on Netflix with Jake Johnson. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that was like the first credit I ever had. This is before I had an agent because the guy who was the eight, right? Yeah. Joe Swanberg. Right. Yeah. And so the guy who was the AD on that movie was the production secretary for the show I was working on. And he was in town f- to AD this movie. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be in town to AD this movie for two weeks. And he was sleeping on my couch. And he came home one night at like two in the morning and he was just soaked. And I was like, where were you guys filming today? And he's like, we were at Arlington Racetrack. And I was like, what the hell were you doing at Arlington Racetrack? And he's like, oh, it's a movie about gambling. And I was like, really? What kind of gambling? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, all kinds of gambling. I'm like, perfect. And I just pulled out a deck of cards and started talking to him a mile a minute for an hour about all of my stories. And he's okay. like, do you know any poker players that could be extras in this movie? And I was like, I know just the people. And there was this charitable casino that I used to go to in high school. Like you could gamble in Illinois if you were 18. And then they had these like charitable casinos where you were ostensibly supposed to donate your winnings to charity. But like you could just go and play like poker for like $500 buy-in. And so I had him call this group of guys that I like met playing poker in high school. And when I was like 26, they all showed up to this movie set. Yeah. And they're, and I was like in this movie because I had been doing improv and comedy and all this shit. But then I had all, but the only reason I like got the part is because my buddy like took a video of me talking about my gambling experiences. And Joe Swamber's like, oh yeah, that guy should be in the movie. Yeah. yeah and then yeah, yeah. I was sitting around all these guys I had to play poker with, like when I was in high school. And then after that, I was like, oh, like I'm done gambling, whatever. And then like, after that, I just ended up going to the casino, not because of the movie, but like a year later, something happened to me. It was like, it was like, a, uh, it was like, there was a lot going on with my family. And the first thing I thought to do was like, oh, I'll go to the casino and I'll feel better. Yeah. And then it yeah. just spiraled to the point where like, uh, by the time I was like 27, 28, the, the way that best illustrates it was I was driving home from, you know, the Chicago Skyway? Yeah. Sorry, you, you might have to edit a lot of this if it's worthless. Uh, no, 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 no. It, this sorry. Is, yeah, it's fascinating. 
So basically, I was on the Chicago Skyway trying to get home from the casino. Yeah. And I say trying because you have to pay an $8 toll to get right. from. And I had lost all of my money. All of my credit cards were maxed out. Like, I didn't have any money. So I got to the toll booth and this lady was like, and I was like, here, run my card. Denied. Next card. Denied. Like, all of my cards were declined. Wow. And mind you, like... Two weeks earlier, I had just won like fifteen grand one night. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. Um, so I was like, okay, can you just like give me a break this one time? And she's like, absolutely not. And I was like, so what do I do? And she's like, you're going to have to get out of your car and go ask people. So I had to get out of my car on the Chicago Skyway at the toll booth. A line of people are behind me. And I had to walk car to car and be like, I need $10 so I can pay the toll or none of us are going anywhere. And I had to do that at like one o'clock in the morning. Wow. Okay. And then you'd think that would be bottom. But then like another two months, I came back and I was like playing every day for like two months. And then finally it got to the point where I was just like. I, I just like at that, I was just tired. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I, you can do something in the state of Illinois. Actually, you can do it in Indiana, Illinois, and Wisconsin. It's called. You were the going self- to the casino in Indiana. I was going to the casino in Indiana, and then there's right. one in Illinois I was going to, and then there oh, was okay. one in Wisconsin I was going to oh, at the okay. end. Um, because, uh, Basically, you can exclude yourself from the casino. So what you do is you go to the... It, there was this one day I lost, like... the. Basically, there was, like... When you get to that point, like, you're, like, looking at your bank statements and you're, like, you don't have enough money to, like, buy a cup of coffee. And you're, right. like, okay, like, I can call, like... I You know, I was calling, like, family members in line at the ATM to, like, transfer me money to, like, lying about, like all sorts of shit and then like losing it. And then, so I was like, okay, like, so I went up to the security guard and I was like, dude, like I need to be put on the self exclusion list. And he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And then they like got a manager out and they're like, what, what do you want? And I was like, I want to self exclude. And they're like, okay. So self exclusion is basically like you register your name with the state police and you, if you step foot in a casino, you're arrested for trespassing and all of your winnings are forfeit. Like anything you win, if you get caught on the self-exclusion list. And the reason I knew about this is because I met a guy who self-excluded and was like trying to get off the self-exclusion list. Yeah, this, was a guy, yeah, yeah. this was a guy, this was a guy I played cards with in high school. He like, he lost his dad's like HVAC business and like was like, I was like, man, I'll never turn out like that guy. And then like 10 years later. Right. uh, right, right. And so then, yeah, you have to go, the manager takes you up to like, it's like the graveyard of casino games. There's like all these old slot machines and like wheel of fortune wheels. And then like in the back, there's this like shitty office. It's like one desk. And then just like this mope state trooper. And he's like, he's like, do you want to, and I was like, yeah, I want to like, I want to self-exclude. So then like, um, I, I self-excluded in Indiana and then I ended up going to gamble more in Illinois and then I had to self-exclude in Illinois and you have to fill out like, it's like 30 pages of paperwork and they like take your picture and you have to like sign and it's like this whole thing. So then like, Yeah. That was like, so then like that happened and then I was like, okay, I'm in the clear. And then, um, there were like, at first I thought my problem was addiction and then I realized it was more like my inability to handle emotional discomfort. Sure. So that, so then like that happened and I got through that and then I, uh, ended up in the hospital because of like, that I really don't want to get into, but like basically it was just, it, there was just a lot of it. Like I was like, basically I had replaced gambling with like drinking and like partying and just like, I had been really, really hurt 
it was my fault. Like it was like a relationship type deal. I had been like very, very hurt and I had never experienced that before. And then, uh, so then like I was like, I went to the, the, the hospital and, uh, when I came out of that, I, uh, (laughs) I was like, I was alive and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to like follow my dreams in earnest. But then I decided that in order to do that, I would start taking way more Vyvanse than I was prescribed. Okay, sure. <laughs> Sorry, are you exhausted? Should I shut up now? No, 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 uh, no. It's... I'm just, uh, I'm engaged. Please. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't talked about this in public in like five years. So yeah. it's, yeah. um, um, see, so yeah, I was like taking, a ton of basically you know people say like add medication it's like at that point it's just speed you know like you just like do a lot of speed and so like i had this like great idea i was gonna i was just gonna be like i was just gonna crash on people's couches until i became a professional comedian like i was just determined like so you know like that's the way you do it what what if you give yourself no other option you'll only succeed right yeah is that the thinking well, that, yeah, that was the, that was the, and you know, like there was like, there were guys who were old heads who were like, oh, like Hannibal Burris wasn't funny until he got his car booted. Like, right, you know, like, right. and yes. he had to like sleep on the train and all the this perfect shit. mythology to yes. validate horrible behavior. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 So then I was just like strung out and like few nights had to sleep on the train and like, I finally just like came to. Uh, I came to, my dad was living in a one bedroom apartment in river North mm. and I was like, I'm just, I'm, and I stayed at John's place a lot. John Norman, like he mm-hmm. was always like, you have a place to stay when you need it, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I did the whole thing. Like I shaved my head and like, it was crazy. I was insane. I was like completely committed to being a, a professional comedian. And then I like was just burnt out and then i realized i was like okay <sighs> i think i uh i'm overdoing it with the with the vivance and i think that this is not a sustainable lifestyle and i remember just like coming into my dad's place and he's like you can crash on my floor but you really have to like you got to get on your feet and at that point i wasn't working you know, I was like 28. I was sleeping on my dad's floor in his apartment yeah. in River North. Like he was going to work and I was like waking up and then like looking for jobs. And then, yeah, I got a job as a mover and I worked at Instacart for like three months. And then like things started to, then I met my now therapist who is like the therapist I've had for the longest amount of time. Mm-hmm. I've gone through a lot of therapists. I've been going to therapy since I was in like fourth grade. Okay. So, wow. so like, this is like the therapy. This is like my guy. Uh, and, and it yeah, sounds like was therapy just, was the modality that connected with you more than the 12 step stuff or other things. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically dialectical behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, cause I was so like, I think that up until that point when I was like, yeah, I think I was like, like, 27 28 when things like really started turning around for me yeah because like i got involved with dialectical behavioral therapy which anybody who's listening who doesn't know what that is it's not a cult it's like actually the opposite they don't talk about like why you are a certain way it was just like really like behaviorally focused where they're like okay when you feel this way you do this Right. A specific like pack of skills, basically. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's like a book I have somewhere. Is there a specific skill that that is a favorite of yours or that you go go to a lot? Uh, Yeah, one is called please. It's an acronym for like... They love the acronyms in DBT. They love the acronym. Well, you know the story of DBT is the woman like... Marshall Linehan, right? Yeah, yeah. Marshall Linehan, that's right. Yeah. yeah. She like invented... She was borderline, right? Yeah, yeah. She was like in a facility. 
Yeah. yeah. And then she like reverse engineered it based on what she was experiencing, which isn't like intense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, there's this one called like, please, which is basically, it's not really even a skill. It's just kind of like when I feel a certain way and out of control, you go through this like checklist of like, have I eaten? Have I had enough water today? Have I slept eight hours? Yeah. Have I taken my medications as prescribed to me? Mm -hmm. Have I like, and then like, once you go through that list, if like you think of like, doing anything impulse like when i think of anything doing anything impulsive i just like now i kind of just do it innately but at the beginning i would literally have to like pull out a piece of paper and like you get like a workbook you know like you get like a workbook like you're in second grade Mm -hmm. and i would like open it up and i would be like did i eat today like yeah and then like did i drink enough water yeah did i take my medications yeah did i sleep eight hours no and then i would be like okay like i'm gonna go to sleep and then, wow, like, it was yeah. like that. And, uh, yeah, no, I remember when I was 28 years old, like, my therapist is like, what's the, what's, like, your ideal situation? This is, like, when I had, like, gone in and, and I was like, yeah, I just, like, want to not have to be a burden on people anymore. And he's like, okay, we can do that. And I was like, great, let's do it. And he's like, it's going to take a while. And then I'd say it took about a year, 27 and, like, 28. I'd start about, like, halfway through my 20 like six months after my 27th birthday and then by the time I was like 29 everything was pretty okay and then the pandemic hit and (laughs) no actually I I gotta say though the pandemic was kind of like because I was still like up until the pandemic I was still like trying to juggle stand up with Mm. taking care of myself right and, I, and, you know, there are people I know who do stand-up who are, like, the most, like, put-together people in the world. Sure. But it's just, like, for me, it's, like, you know, to borrow an adage from uh, 12 Steps is, like, if you go to a barbershop, you're going to get a haircut. Like, if you just mm-hmm. hang out in a barbershop. Like, um, so, yeah, no, like, the pandemic happened and I was, like, oh, I can be creative, but I don't have to put myself in situations where I constantly have to say like, no, I can't do that or feel, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it sounds like if we're, if we're framing it in the sort of before and after, um, (laughs) coma, coma narrative, you know, my artificial sort of framework here, it sounds like the things that are different are, you don't do a lot of the behaviors um, yeah, you know the gambling and the. Well, I don't know. Do you or do you abstain from drinking and stuff at this point? No, I don't abstain a hundred percent from drinking. I don't drink okay. like hard alcohol. I basically, when when it comes to drinking, like I basically just don't drink in a way that would like make me do anything worse. So I like I, I just drink like I'll have like beer, <laughs> like yeah. have a couple beers, you know. But like I don't drink. Do you not gamble anymore? I don't gamble like I like I'll buy a scratchy lottery ticket every once in a while. That doesn't mean that I like I don't want to gamble all the time. Sure. Like even since I've like excluded myself from casinos, there have been times like when I'll like like when the GameStop thing was big. Remember the stock market? Yeah. Like there are times when I like do something like that. And then like, you know, like. You know, you meet your therapist. I meet my therapist like once a week. So he'll just be like, what does this feel like? I'll be like, well, it feels a lot of gambling. It's kind of great, except I have a strategy. And he's like, didn't you Didn't you say you had a strategy for blackjack? Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, when you talk about self-excluding as, as an addict, as someone who identifies in, as an addict, as someone who the framework of the 12-step stuff is is a helpful framework for me when you talk about self-excluding from these casinos my first thought is well that sounds like it could make the experience of gambling even more exciting to like potentially be caught to go in some it's like oh I, yeah. i'm not like oh well that deters me i'm like eh, it's only a matter of time until i start to test the waters with like how 
How no, I know. well does this self-exclusion work, you know? No, yeah, no, I've, like, abs- and I would be, no, yeah, I would be remiss to say that I haven't, like, wanted to test it. Sure, But sure. it's such a good, it's, like, one of the few times, I feel like the two best things that have ever happened from, like, an institutional standpoint was the American government's reaction to cigarette smoking and, like, holding all of those people accountable to the okay. point where, like, my partner's 16-year-old brother well, he's 18 now, but like we were in Europe and he like didn't even know what an ashtray was. I was like, that just goes to show you how f- messed up everything is. If like there was this thing that was harming society that this mm-hmm. kid doesn't even know what an ashtray is anymore. Like within one generation, it's yeah. gotten a lot better. But the self-exclusion thing I think is like, it's actually kind of like a DBT of the first step. Right. You're admitting mm. you're powerless over something and then you have mm-hmm. the institutional support to enforce that first right. step. Right, 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 right. All you uh, need is is 30 pages of clarity and you yeah, can yeah. And you No, can but it's true it. though. Yeah. It's true totally. though. Like uh I wanted to go to uh I wanted to go to Vegas with a couple of my buddies and I was like and I thought about it and I was like, you know I I, I don't like, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> like, yeah. because, like, at first it seemed like a great idea, but it, like, mm-hmm. then I went through my checklist. I'm like, oh, I'm really stressed out right now. Yeah. I feel like I have a lot to escape. Like, I, I, I don't think that this is the right decision. So it's definitely a great governor, but it does get, ex- but it can be exciting, I can imagine. Well, I know, so in terms of the, what were you going to say? Oh, I just know that I know this guy who, um, he was, he was like, I don't want to give away too much of his pedigree because like it would be pretty easy to figure out who he is. But I will say this, like he got banned from casinos cause he hit like, I think he won like 150 grand. Like, and when you, when you win anything in a casino over 10 grand, the first thing they do is like, they, they bring out like a floor boss who like brings out the money. You can either get cash or you can get like chips. But then the other thing he gives you is like a piece of paper and it's basically like a 1099. So you have to like fill out a 1099 at a table. So if you don't fill out the 1099 at the table, then you're expected to cash out your winnings in one lump sum because you will have to pay taxes on it. Sure. So I know somebody who got, who was, down so much that when he hit this $150,000 jackpot, he could not, like, he needed that money, like, all of it. Like, he didn't, because, you know, 150 grand short term capital gains tax is like 37%. So, like, if you win 150 grand, you're looking at like 100 grand. Right, right, right. So, like, he needed all 150. So, what he did is, he like smurfed it. Like he took like $9,900 and like gave it to 15 different people in the casino that he knew and tried to cash it out at different cages. And then they like looked at the video and they're like, dude, like, like you're just like, you're just trying to get all this in cash, but like, you can't do that. And, uh, so anyways, I, I just thought about that because you were saying the, like, trying to get around it and like exciting stuff. Anyways, I didn't mean to, that was, I thought that was, no, no, definitely. I mean, right. And so, okay. So you, so you don't do some of the behaviors anymore, but you said what you felt like was the root thing is escaping from uncomfortable emotions. Always. Do you feel that like, has that changed for you? Do you, do you have different, it sounds like you have different tools to deal with that discomfort, but do you still run away from that discomfort? Are you better at facing it? Like, what is your relationship to emotional distress now? Uh, I think like frequency and intensity have like exponentially decreased. Okay. Like, I feel like, um, yeah, I f- feel like I have enough like tools to 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 the point where now I'm like comfortable enough in my own skin where I'm uncomfortable that 
I'm just like, okay, I can just sit with this and then it'll pass. And the stress tolerance is that that's the DVD, yeah, right? Yeah. That's it. You're very good. You're yeah. Yeah. Well, that was exactly. my shit, man. I, three years after the coma, I got suicidal and had to go to, go to treatment. So, uh, yeah, so I that that's where I discovered a lot of that stuff, and it's the closest I've I've said it on the show before, but it's the closest I've felt to a sort of like skeleton key of like yeah, because like I, I, I'm always search is probably an addiction thing too. I'm always like, what is the thing that's going to solve everything, right? And like yes, DBT got gets pretty close. It it does a really fucking good job if it if it resonates with you, you know. Well, it's the, well, the thing is, is that when I got out of the hospital for, it sounds like a similar thing to what you were describing is, uh, cause you know, I had been in for the same type of thing and, uh, uh, I met this like Haitian cab driver who told me this like amazing story. It was the first time I had left my parents' house after just watching Pixar movies for like three weeks because it was the only thing I could watch without being triggered like I was just like laying on the couch and I was like, just, you know how it is. Like, you're just like, uh, you know, you still got the, like the, like your hair's all messed up from the bracelet, you know, from okay. the plastic bracelets and like, sure, you're just sure, like sure. decompressing. And I remember like somebody invited me to something and I had to take a cab and this Haitian cab driver told me this amazing story about how he was in the earthquake and he survived. And the thesis statement of it was like, don't ask why ask how. Yeah. Like, like, don't ask why this happened to me. Just ask how you're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what DBT really does a good job of, like, distilling. And uh, that's why it was effective for handling the discomfort now. That leaves us with asking you to relive one memory where the premise of the one man show that this podcast came from is that everyone in the audience is in the afterlife. And one of the features of the afterlife is that, uh, everyone gets to fully relive one memory. You have to choose a single memory that you get to fully drop down into and re-experience however many times you want, like a room you can pop into and out of. If that were the case, what memory do you choose? In 2007, I think it was the first time I went to Greece with my entire family. Okay. And uh, we were on this island where my uncle is from. And uh, there's this, there's like a ton of beaches, but there was this one beach with these huge waves. It was amazing. And uh, yeah, just swam all day. And uh, they had this, like, mud that was good for your, like, exfoliation. So my cousins and I just covered ourselves in mud. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and then we went up to see where my uh, grandparents were born, up in the north of Greece. And my grandmother was still alive, and she was, like, at her peak. She was, like, 85. And uh, This is the grandma you would have wanted to yeah. visit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. in the afterlife, yeah, 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 and uh, she was like, yeah, she was hanging out with this distant relative of hers from Greece, and she was, uh, they, it was the only time I'd ever seen her drink in her entire life, but it was like the only time in her life I'd ever seen her like carefree, and I was just talking to her uh, right after the beach that day, and that was that was a great day. So, what were you talking about? She, I don't honestly like I she was speaking Greek most of the time. She was she was drinking this stuff. It was it's like grappa. Yeah. Like, you know, like yeah. the little and, uh, after what is it? After dinner sort of liquor. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of licorice, but, right? Yeah, right, right, right. And yeah. she was with this guy whose name was Dionysius. Like his name was Dionysus. And okay, like, okay. And they were just speaking like fluent Greek and then she would just like look at me every once in a while and like crack a joke and they would both laugh. Like I don't even know what she was saying to me because I don't really speak Greek. I I can understand bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But uh but yeah, no, it was just a good it was just a good hang with my family. 
that was so yeah that would be it just not even it sounds like you're more of an observer than an active participant in that yeah 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 like being in the ocean swimming that day and then just coming to hang out and just being with the people I care about and that day was just great because like I was just physically in the waves like I wasn't thinking about anything except just swimming and having a good time and this is it sounds like you're in high school yeah this was like senior year of high school right before college okay somewhere between my senior and freshman year and it really sounds like I mean it's it's exactly the kind of hang you described being uh made possible by the bench that you would yeah yeah have dedicated to you that's right okay any specific food you remember were you drinking as a as a, what you one of those situations where oh, you're in yeah. Europe and you're like ooh I get to have some of the grappa or something like that I wasn't drinking with my grandmother but uh food was just like good uh, uh you know we were in the beach so like fresh fish and uh just they, we ate this that day they have this thing on the island uh it's called macaroonas okay. it's not macaroons it's like um whole wheat pasta that uh kind of look like little slugs it's like totally indigenous to this one small island just south of crete um and they like put like melted butter and like fried onions on and like cheese on top and it's just like the best the best form of noodle it's so good it sounds uh, like gnocchi the way you're describing it is it that thick or is it it's like no it's not that thick but like okay. imagine the shape of gnocchi and the underbelly how it's like kind of creased yeah. and you know it's like handmade but it's like right. thinner and okay. it's it's just oh it's so good it's like rich and uh yeah and then like my grandmother used to that okay so that's like the top memory and then the other one is like going downstairs my grandmother used to make uh spanakopita which is like spinach mm-hmm. pie yeah but she used to like hand make the filo Mm, wow. like like with her hands and i would i remember yeah. i just go down in the basement where she cooked like my parents got her this like ridiculous like our family like we like redid her house and and like got her this great kitchen upstairs so she didn't have to relegate herself to the basement but i remember she would always just go to her old basement kitchen and you'd just see her out there with like on the counter there would just be huge just sheets of phyllo that she had like hand and you know you could just watch her do it all day like she was just it was incredible and just like you could smell it like you'd come down and then like you'd smell it and just walking down the stairs and just seeing her doing her thing sounds like you and she had a special relationship definitely definitely she died last year and uh, I miss her. She was the best. Um, How would you describe that relationship? Like differently than than a typical grandma grandson thing. I think we were pretty similar. Like, but how do I put? Um, like. She experienced a lot more like trauma, like with a capital T. Okay. But she didn't like have any of the resources to like nobody was talking about therapy like in 1956. Mm-hmm. So like she took all of her like nervous energy and like anxiety and probably PTSD that she experienced from like the Nazis invading her village and like uh you know, and and she really just put it into like acts of service mm-hmm. and like caring a lot about the people that um, she loved. And it, it was almost to her detriment. Like, like it, it, like at times it was to her detriment, but like 
she just didn't know what else to do with all of that stuff she experienced in such an early age. And, uh, anyways, but like, she would always like, look at me, like we would talk cause she was an insomniac and I would always stay up late. And like, we would just like sit there and like, we were just and like, she got me. Like, she just like, she would like, look at me and she'd be like, are you okay? And like, I just knew she knew how I felt, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, it, it was just that kind of thing. Well, and it's interesting that your the memories you're choosing to relive are one is her fully absorbed in the act of service of rolling that mm. kilo dough, and the other is completely relieved of any need to. It's it's almost like you know, sure, if if your response to as you say capital T trauma is service, then the ultimate version of that is you know, hand-making phyllo dough is, is a positive version of an act of service, something that absorbs mm-hmm. you and feels satisfying in some way. But then the, the step beyond that is just the relief of even the need to do the service and the ability to just completely be present. And it sounds like that's what you were seeing with her and mm-hmm. Dionysius. Yeah. Yeah. Does that ring true or am I, am I like kind of overly narrativizing things here? No, no, no. I think you're, I think, I think you were right on. That's the, I got to see her doing what she did to cope and then seeing her in a place where she didn't feel like she had to, which might've been the only time other than the time when during that same trip, she climbed up a mountain in flip flops at 82 years old. I swear, I swear, you should have, because she wanted to pick fresh oregano, and she went straight up the side of this mountain, and she was like, it was 2007, she was 94, so maybe she was like 80, but didn't miss a beat, like grabbing onto the roots and like pulling Thank you for listening. Go check out Steve's stuff in the show notes on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Marr. you get all the bonus content, extra long episodes, after shows, anything else I decide to throw up there. And I do. That's not just an empty uh, promise. There, there are occasional little experiments that I try in the Patreon. So join that. And until next week, remember... You are a mist. Have faith. You are human. 